Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 124 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined in person by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are coming to you from an RV park in Santa Clarita, California. Uh, my folks were in town to visit, and so we thought we'd take this opportunity to do a podcast. It's perfect. Whenever we're together, it makes more sense to do it together. That's right. So if you hear any uh, odd noises in the background, that's probably what it is. <laughs> but uh, this is a father-son duo doing a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. And today we're here to talk about our beloved Nebraska Cornhuskers, how the spring practice has gone into the upcoming spring game that will be happening a week from now. And we also have some general news in regards to the wider world of college football about uh, NIL, how that's going for other teams across college football, um, some proposals to change the NCAA's infractions process, and other things like that. But before we dive into all that conversation, we both have a beverage. Yes, and I'm I'm taking a little uh, deviation from our standard of having a couple of beers to open up. And of course, the tradition of this, maybe it's good to share this because it's been a while uh, since we talked about this, but the, this podcast originates, it's a father-son conversation that used to happen in the post-game uh, hours or day, if, it, if you will, uh, after a Nebraska game every, uh, as Alex was growing up and we would talk football, we would talk about the game, uh, I would bitch and moan and get on my soapbox every now and then and that sort of stuff and I usually did it with a beer in my hand now as he got older eventually we both had beers in our hands and so uh, it was one of those deals where now it is the right tradition for us to be having a beverage and enjoying each other's company whether that be live like we are today in front of each other or um, on an occasion when he might be still here in California and I might be elsewhere in my travels across the U.S. Uh, or back in Michigan and home, at home. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so today I just have a Miller Lite, not as uh, fancy as you. Yes, I, I am drinking a, a, a nice glass of bourbon today. And part of the reason what motivated me to do this is not only because Alex is with me and it's a, it's a celebration whenever I get to spend time with my kids, and uh, but but also the fact that uh, uh, we we happened upon a, uh, a beverage facility here in in uh, the state of California, they were having a once a year sale in which they let you buy certain what they call yellow tagged products, um, one for the regular price and, and the other is the second bottle for five cents and it doesn't matter what it is. So I chose to uh, pursue bourbon given uh, the, my preferences for bourbon. <laughs> and uh, so I'm drinking myself a nice glass of, of, of Kentucky bourbon. So cheers to bourbon. All right. Cheers. Cheers, son. Let's enjoy a beverage and talk a little football. That's right. Okay. So we're going to dive into the Nebraska side of the conversation first today. And uh, one of the interesting things that came up since we lasted a podcast, which was in early March, uh, talking about some of the recruiting updates and things of that nature, um, is that uh, Xavier Betts, one of our uh, best wide receivers from last season and a younger player that we had a lot of uh, prospects for his growth going forward uh, seems to be no longer with the team. Uh, would you like to go into that further, Dad? Well, sure. Um, bottom line is, is every year there's a few uh, athletes who, for one reason or another, don't don't find the fit that they were looking for, have some issues um, themselves, you know, off the field or whatever or uh, are not happy with the progress they feel they should be making in terms of depth chart position or or just relationship relationships with the coaching staff and 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 this is always magnified more when you're losing right when you're winning that was happening too but it didn't get quite the attention and frankly it didn't happen with your top top level players I don't think as often because usually if you were a top level player playing on a top level team then you had no interest in leaving right because you were trying to build your your reputation your your position for a potential NFL career at least that's what you might think in your mind as a young athlete 
um, when you're on a team that's struggling, can't do that. Right. Everything gets harder when you're losing. That's a general rule of uh, sports. That's exactly right. And so uh, it, it's not necessarily a shock or surprise that something like this happens, but it is a little disappointing when we kind of consistently seem to lose some of the guys that we perceive to be our premier players, right? That, that, and maybe he would have never emerged as that great player that we thought he could be, but you know what? There's also a pretty decent chance that he could have in the right set of circumstances. But for whatever reason, it wasn't happening at Nebraska. So he's gone, and now we have to move on without him and um, and deal with it. Now, the, the good news is uh, he's in a position group, the wide receivers, that have gotten a lot of attention and a lot of focus ever since Scott has become our coach. Uh, and we have a lot of other athletes in that spot that are pretty darn good. And so uh, will we miss him? Absolutely. He was going to potentially be a great contributor starter, but uh, we're not going to have that depth that he would have provided no matter what now. But that doesn't mean we can't still be good at wide receiver. We still have some talent there. Uh, our bigger concerns as a, as a college uh, football program going into next season uh, are going to be in other areas of the football team, I believe. Right. Yep, and it seems to be one of those classic cases where, you know, he was being expected to give 100% effort every practice, no matter what, you know, and sometimes maybe he was phoning it in a bit, you know, partially maybe knowing that when it comes time for game time, you know, that he's uh, has the physical talents to really shine out there on the field and all that stuff. But well, Yeah, there's all kinds of things at play there. You don't know what's going on in his life outside of the sport, right? You don't know what his struggles were academically. Uh, there's just a number of areas that might influence, uh, you know, a young man's focus, right? Girlfriend problems, you name it, right? So, <laughs> yes. so I don't know what the specifics were in this case. And, you know, we'll hear lots of rumors. In fact, I already have. But the bottom line is I, I don't know definitively, and I don't think we ever will know definitively, other than the fact is he's not on the team anymore, and it's very unlikely he ever will be again. Right. Uh, at least at the University of Nebraska. Right. He might emerge somewhere else. Yes. And so this transitions us nicely into talking about spring practice and the upcoming spring game. Um, with the spring game, obviously there's a little more excitement around it than usual, I would say, because we have Casey Thompson, you know, new quarterback that we're going to be seeing for the first time in a Nebraska uniform, you know, and our second team uh, quarterback as well. Right. Um, Purdy. Right. Hurdy. Um, so we've got some excitement there as well as the other talent that have you know newly emerged on the team you know that are going to be coming in to see how they right. perform um, but I know there have been also some warning signs from the practices as well right exactly so, so the bottom line is with with any typical spring practice lots of guys are injured or being held out with with what might be considered minor injuries but it's it's spring football and, and you don't want to push somebody who is hurt um, uh, but could come back, right? If it was in season, maybe they play them, but in this kind of a situation, they're not going to. So we're going to be seeing a little bit of a skeleton crew. But at the same time, um, you're going to get some insight into what the new coaches and their influence on the offense uh, particularly is going to be, right? And we've lost a tremendous amount of talent on the defensive side of the ball. So how are some of the younger guys rising to the occasion or are they not you know and that's really ultimately uh what needs to happen for nebraska i don't know that the spring game next weekend is gonna you know be a definitive marker or point other than to give us a little snapshot of the progress that's been made by certain individual players i think collectively as a team we're gonna look a little shaky uh we, we're dealing with quarterbacks all of them even the ones that are uh you know like um uh, Smothers, who have been with the program, are um, you know effectively learning a new offense. So, so all of them are going to look a little rusty, right? Uh, I don't expect a lot of precision or anything like that, uh, but I am excited about some things. I mean, it's it sounds like there's a commitment to a running game uh, that's been trying to be established. It sounds like uh, we're starting to make some progress along the offensive line, even though we have some of our top three or four players who aren't playing uh, in the spring game or won't be because they're nursing injuries or of various kinds. Um, so the, the, the starting line that will probably start for the first game next year might be very different than this, this one, right? However, um, we are still going to be able to see progress that the new offensive line coach 
and technique and effort and those kinds of things that we will be able to see. So that's the cool thing is what, what do we see there, right? Right. Um, and defensive line-wise, uh, we had to replace a lot, and we lost some guys. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, these younger guys need to rise to the occasion. And so far in the spring, you know, the, the few little snippets that we get, because there's not a lot of visibility, that practice sessions um, hasn't been great news, right? They have not risen to the occasion yet. They're too slow. They're, they, they don't have the instinct. You know, they, they're just not there. And are they going to get there, or, or are we going to have to go hard uh, at the portal again after spring practice is over and try to pursue some guys that might be able to help right. us next spring or next fall, rather. Because that's been one of the issues with Nebraska teams for quite a while now, even going as far back as to Bo Pelini, you know, like that, I forget if it was the 2009 season, you know, the one where Sue had a really great year and we had one of the best defenses in the country. Right. And it's like we could have been a great team if only our offense was worth a damn. Right. If they were <laughs> average, we would have won the right. Big 12 easily and probably been a top 15 team. Right. And then kind of similarly, last season, our defense played pretty salty, you know, kept us in a lot of games, and the offense kind of let us down. Right. Now we might be in a situation where we've changed offensive coordinators, we've got a new quarterback in place, and maybe, if we're lucky, you know, that all clicks and we start really producing there. But if the defensive line is young and struggling, it's not going to matter because we're going to get blown out in games against our tougher opponents. Right. And, and, and we have what appears to be some solid options at linebacker, uh, some talent in the defensive secondary. I don't know that we're great in any of those areas, but I think we're good enough to be a solid football team. And so um, that is pretty cool, right? But uh, right. Uh, but I don't know how good we're going to be able to be overall unless that defensive line rises to the occasion. Because without them, it doesn't matter how good your secondary is, right? They're going to get picked apart because the defensive line is not going to be able to do their job the way they need to. So we need those guys to rise. Right. Um, do you, you know, one of the other obvious areas we want to see improvement on is special teams. We now have a full-time special teams coach. Right. But do you think there'll be much to observe from the spring game in that department? Oh, I, I would expect that they are going to try to highlight that. I, I will be shocked. But not maybe not in the form of just play during the game. The, I, 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 I don't even know that they've announced formally what the – uh, what the format's going to be. And with all the injuries they've had, particularly in certain areas like tight ends, they're going to struggle uh, with depth. And so, um, you know, I don't know what the format's going to look like. But I am almost certain that they'll try to do some things, even if they're just goofy uh, uh, practice routines, to show off what the punters are doing, what the kickers are doing, or capable of, or whatever. Um, but I do expect them to try some way to show the fans that hey, our special teams areas are improved from where they've been. Mm -hmm. Yep, so it'll be definitely exciting to see how that goes. We'll do a podcast probably later in April discussing the results of that spring game yeah. and all that stuff. And, and I do expect that there's going to be some significant... We, we've got, obviously, a lot of visitors coming for the spring game. And amazingly, and this is the thing where you just got to continue to nod your head to Nebraska fan, Nebraska's fan base. I mean, we're probably looking at Forty-five to 60,000 range. I don't know where it's going to be. I would say 45. Some people are hopeful that there'll be 60,000. I don't think there will be. It'd have to be a great day. If it's a beautiful sunny day, maybe that happens. But that would still put us in one of the higher echelons of attendance for a spring game for a team that now has basically gone under 500 for, what, three years in a row, four years in a row? I mean, we well, suck. More like eight years, right? Because well, there's all the years under... Uh... What's his name? Riley. Riley, too. Yeah, three and three. Yeah, so six. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, bottom line is that uh, um, right. we're, we're going to have this great environment, this great setting. There's going to be a number of recruits there, including some portal players, right? Not just incoming potential freshmen for next year. Um, and um, even you know seniors and stuff, um, high school seniors, we're going to have some of these portal people present as well that are that are the ones that we really are targeting that might be able to come in and immediately make a difference this next fall, and mm -hmm. that's huge, right? Right. And so the aftermath of, of our our uh, game 
is going to be not just how did we play, but also where are the obvious gaps and what are we doing to fill them? Right. Very true. Very true. Um, one other interesting thing that's been going on in the kind of the background of the University uh, of Nebraska is a deal regarding our media rights for the university right. um, because we had a deal with a different company for many years. Um, and IMG then sports. Right. Yeah. And then we decided to go a different route last year, take it all in house instead. Right. Uh, which has not gone well. Right. Uh, by all, all accounts. It, it hasn't gone well in terms of the execution and, and those kinds of things. Um, it has uh, now in the age of NIL. OK. It has put us at a huge disadvantage because of the, the nature of the rules. And you can maybe address that a little bit, Alex. Um but b- bottom line is we, we obviously want to do that. There isn't a whole ton of companies out there. There's probably only three or four companies that are truly um, capable, let's say, of taking on major universities and doing what we want them to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you've got you, the, all these competitors out there that you can play against each, each other. So uh, Nebraska's in a bit of a bind now because – uh, because of this. Right. Well, because we were talking with GMI Sports, JMI, JMI, JMI yeah. Sports, yes, um, about a $215 million deal that would basically have them be handling all of our media. That uh, isn't television contract. It's it's the radio broadcast. It's all the other media right, the type website. of relationships. And be, yeah. Right. Talk shows. Talk things shows. Things yeah, like that. Exactly. Yep. Um, which was going to be uh, a very lucrative deal for the university compared to what's known about the other deals that are out there for other, you know, Big Ten universities. Right. Um, but then recently it was uh, officially announced that the deal was not going through, that there was a disagreement between the parties. Of course, they haven't, you know, expounded on what that disagreement was. Um, but now we're kind of going back to the drawing board and Trev Alberts has said that, you know, we're going to, see our options and figure out what's best for the university going forward. Um, but as you mentioned, one of the disadvantages of doing it in-house, which is kind of ironic, uh, cause you would think you'd want to do it in-house, you know, to maintain creative control or whatever. Uh, but you can't pay your players on NIL money to appear on like these talk shows for interviews and things like that, because you're the university, but a third party can. Mm-hmm. So, that's one advantage that we're missing out on right, right. now. Right. So that's a that's a big component that needs to be addressed. So I, I'm fairly confident that that they will come up with a media rights deal with somebody. Uh, they'll probably now have to pursue something that is as short as they can possibly make it because it's not going to be very good. Because now we're negotiating from a, a position of weakness, not a position of strength at all. Um, and so we may end up having to go back to the company that we separated from uh not not jmi sports but img who we previously were with uh and and if there aren't, aren't enough other competitors they're likely going to be able to lowball us and uh, acquire our rights for less than we would like them to to do right right but uh, the only hope could be that we make we're able to negotiate that that contract is going to be short that it's going to be a, a, a just a few years in length so that then uh, we can go back on the market when we're in a better position. Right. That would be the hope. And one interesting thing uh, that kind of uh, addresses the broader Big Ten, uh, but also directly affects Nebraska, is something we talked about last time, uh, where there was the discussion of the Big Ten going to eight conference games instead of nine and filling that ninth game with a co- cross-conference game with another member of the Alliance, meaning the Pac-12 and the ACC. Right. Um, however, it would appear that in the month or so since then, uh, those talks have uh, stalled out, you know, and there's been no further movement on them. So we might be getting into some, you know, uh, cross-conference politics, you know, of the three members not necessarily agreeing on anything that isn't, uh, you know, screw the SEC because right. that's what well, yeah. you know unites them. Well, the thing the thing that they wanted to do was to unite for the purposes of policy discussion um, in terms of their uh, shared philosophy about how they wanted to see um, college athletics move forward from today. Right, that was the primary thing, and then the 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 idea of having the shared games and some of these kind of cross relationships were really kind of an additional 
thought, right? An additional benefit, so to speak. And of course, the ACC, to a lesser extent, the 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 big or the Pac-12 in a huge way, and the Big Ten not at all. Uh, were, you know, their interest was pretty low on that factor, right? The Big Ten already has a very good contract uh, for its media rights, et cetera, et cetera. Pac-12 doesn't touch it, right? Even the ACC, with Clemson and all their success in recent years, is not close to uh, the Big Ten's deal, right? right? So from a monetary standpoint, um, there is less to be gained for the Big Ten than those other two leagues. And that's where I think because of that uneven benefit, um, how they play that out in terms of commitments is really a difficult thing for those parties to do. Now, they can they can absolutely still find common ground for their legislative and and uh, you know policy agenda because they have a lot of shared interest that way academically as well right mm-hmm. but um, but in terms of the sports side of it I think it's gonna be uh, they're gonna run into some roadblocks and we gotta we gotta figure this out in a way that benefits our ability to get teams into the playoff whether it remains at four like it's trending right now or whether that gets revisited and we go to a uh, an eight or 12. some modified twelve kind of ga- uh, game structure, which I think eight or twelve would be the way to go, um, uh, rather than staying at four, because I think four has been a absolute abject failure for the uh, promotion and the long term health and benefit of the uh, so the sport. I think it, it, it since college football playoff has started, it has generated more money, and the rich have gotten richer, so to speak, including the Big Ten. But uh, it has even more uh, greatly uh, regionalized the sport uh, and made it. Uh, I mean, the Pac-12 has practically become pa- apathetic about college football specifically and college sports in general. I think they're struggling and they're tending or trending in a negative way in almost all sports uh, and not because they don't have great teams and great athletic programs and all that, but the the interest is just waning because uh, it's not a level playing field. And so, uh, uh, especially in college football. So this college football playoff has not achieved some of the goals of growing the game that they, that they wanted. They got their national championship game and that's it. I mean, that's the disappointing reality. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if um, Lincoln Riley now at USC can kind of turn that trend around for the Pac-12 generally. Because if, if USC is doing great like they were in the mid to early right. 2000s. Pete, yeah, when that, Pete Carroll was Right. There. That kind of drags the rest of the conference along with them. Absolutely. And 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 there's a reason, and, and I believe the college football playoff structure is a big part of that reason, why a guy like Lincoln Riley, who was on top of the world, he had one of the top four to five, uh, oh, let, let's say top ten jobs available in the country. I, I'm, I'm going to put it in the top five or six, but let, let's say somebody wants to argue with me. So I'll say top ten. He was already there. So when you're at the top of the mountain in one of the top ten schools, you don't leave that job unless you get forced out or there's some other commitment situation uh, from the administration that you can't find your way around. And that's ultimately what happened to him, where he viewed their decision to go to the SEC as not attractive for the the football program's long-term success of achieving the goal of winning national championships, right? Right. Because they just made things a lot harder for themselves, and they're gonna fu- they'll figure that out. All those administrators who think they're they're geniuses because now they're going to get a big huge payday, and they will. Uh, and that doesn't mean they won't have success, but winning national championships is actually going to be tougher for them. And I think Riley, Lincoln Riley understood that. Yep. Very true. Very true. Uh, transitioning to the more of the national side of things, this is an interesting headline I saw from a few days ago about uh, Congress potentially getting involved with the NCAA. Um this is a bill that was introduced by uh, two senators, one Republican, one Democrat, uh, to create uh, new deadlines and different things for the NCA infractions process. Um, the, it says here some of the bullet points are requires NCA investigations to be complete in eight months, prohibits NCA punishing schools for violations two plus years old, prohibits NCA using confidential sources for decisions, 
requires NCA to submit annual reports to the U.S. Attorney General. So it seems they're trying to step into you know, uh, keep the NCA more accountable on some of these sort of things. Right. Um, I, I do like the idea of that they need to be complete within a certain time frame, so they can't just let these things right. go on forever. But the one about not punishing schools for violations two plus years old does kind of stick out to me because sometimes these violations don't get discovered for quite a bit of time because they're kept so hush-hush, right, by the right. universities. Right. And, and bottom line is, we don't want... As a fan, as much as I think the NCAA is failing collegiate athletics and failing its institutions enormously, getting Washington, D.C. involved in any way, shape, or form will only lead to bad things. That's a horrible idea, okay? And I hope that those bills go nowhere. But I also know that the the two senators involved are likely doing this not so much with the idea that they're going to pass legislation, but to rattle their sabers enough that they scare the heck out of the NCAA and the NCAA starts stepping up to the plate and starts figuring out a way to process information and make decisions way faster than they do now. The the, the way that they go about doing their process of enforcement, how they study and research, how they make decisions even on eligibility, right, uh, for student-athletes and how long they take to do it when all they got to do is get together and the information's all there. They're not, they're not going out to get more information. It's all there. It's all delivered to them by the member institution, okay? But they sit on it for months and months and months. And then literally days before the season, now a player has been preparing and practicing with their team, and then three days before the first game in their season, they're told they're ineligible. That's stupid. Okay, when they were sitting on that damn information for months in some cases, okay, uh, that's the kind of crap that has to end, and that's where the NCAA needs to be reorganized so that they actually understand and focus on their tasks. And some of the things that they're that are in their purview need to be removed, and that's where the member institutions, i.e., the presidents, uh, and you know boards of directors of and and re- regents and all that of all these institutions they need to throw their weight around and there needs to be a meeting in the minds that says okay you guys are doing this poorly you're doing this poorly and so we're going to carve some of this stuff out and we're going to create other organizations that do this we're going to create a watchdog group and that's all they do and they're going to have those kinds of expectations on them and they're totally separate they are not run by the NCA they're run by another you know oversight group that's a bunch of presidents from universities or something you know what I mean right. so that so you know the bigness of the NCA doesn't get in its way right well I remember in some of those conversations we would have in the car on the way to school and things like that you know back when I was in middle school and high school and stuff <laughs> um, it would be about how uh, the NCA's investigations don't really have that much teeth to them because they don't have subpoena power like Correct. the U.S. government does. Correct. So there's a kind of a limit to how deep they can dig on some of this stuff. Exactly. And so, and I don't know that we, uh, like I said, I, 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 it scares the heck out of me to have the, the federal, you know, government start making laws, right, or rules on that sort of stuff. I would rather it be a third-party organization. But the member institutions can agree to that requirement, but then the individuals involved, like an individual person or athlete who's involved in some investigation, they they don't have to give up those rights, right? So they can't be they can't be put in a subpoena situation just because they happen to be a student athlete or involved in a student athletic program somehow. Uh, you can't do that unless a law has been broken, a federal or state law then obviously all those other factors come into play. Right. And I believe I saw that, I think it was August 1st, is the start of this big NCAA, you know, member institution meeting, basically, that's going to try to sort out all the many problems facing both the NCAA and college sports more generally, you know, with like all the NIL stuff, the transfer portal, you know, all sorts of different things. And that meeting might, you know, radically change you know the ncaa's constitution right and like how they're right. set up and all that sort of stuff so that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on absolutely that'll that'll be big news but the question is even if they come up with some proposals out of that you know it's going to be years in the process so that they currently have to make any decisions out of that 
the, the, whatever recommendations come out of that are going to have to be reviewed, and then they'll be revisited, and it'll be two years later when they're even looking at them again. So this is there, there's no decisions that are going to be made fast with the current NCAA structure. Right. They would need to dramatically change the way they structured the NCAA. They would have to put a blue ribbon panel together of presidents of key institutions and, and give them unorthodox power to, you know, individually line veto proposals and pick the ones that they want to change and implement them immediately and say, we're going to, we're going to implement this group of 10 recommended changes and we're going to do it right now. And we're going to do it for, uh, with a, with a sunset in two years. And we're going to give ourselves two years to see if these individual programs or ideas have made us better or worse. We're going right. to do it right now. Well, I was going to say, I feel like the, the NIL changes did happen quite quickly because they, there was political pressure on well, that. Well, right. They, 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 there was legal pressure. They knew that if they were they were going to go to court. So they were forced to act quickly because they, they, they saw the writing on the wall. They were going to get thrown to court because they were unwilling to do the thing that would have softened and, I think, removed the edge that the NIL clamor had that would have been a slam, slam dunk in court. If they had made a decision and gotten the institutions to commit to making, uh, providing a stipend, a reasonably substantive stipend, okay, and when I say reasonable, I'm talking thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but thousands of dollars that they would have paid student athletes uh, in, in exchange for the enormous amount of commitment that those individual athletes are given to their sport, right? The number of hours, the time away from family, friends, to the other, quote, quote, typical college uh, experience time, you know, uh, that somehow they would get some compensation for that so they would have some money like other students do, right, who get who work while they're in school, right? Right. Okay. Well, the problem is they weren't willing to do that. They couldn't get agreement to do that. That's the problem. Right. right? So then they, they, they go ahead and just, let NIL go fly yeah, op- free and open up Pandora's box. Exactly. And now we got the Wild West. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of that, um, because, you know, signing day has happened and everything, you know, and the, the kind of last wave of recruiting is over and now we're getting into thinking about 2023 and everything. Um, there have been some news stories about some of these different uh, collectives at different universities emulating what's been going on at Texas, which we've talked about before about like these donors and members of the public basically being able to pool money together and do a fund that then gets distributed to players on the team as well as recruits right. and all and, sorts and of things. And they really don't, it's not, it's not uh, do this in exchange for work or even a lot of their time. It ends up being considered a charity. They, they maybe have to attend some charity events, right? Where they're raising money or whatever, and they're signing autographs. They're doing whatever, and they're and, and there's a way they can get paid for that, right? Uh, and so it's very little that 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 it, it fits perfectly because it's very little time commitment on the part of the student athlete, and yet it can be pretty substantial money now, because all of a sudden they're pooling these these people together into monetary. But it's go, it's already started a, a race. It's an it's the new. Uh, arms race. It used to be the arms race was who had the best facilities, who had the the coolest you know uh, lounge for their athletes and food and table and uh, training table. I mean and 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 other amenities. Uh, barber shops, right, are the big thing on a lot of the football facilities. All have their own barber shop where they can go and have their custom haircuts. Just absurd shit, right? Right. Okay, but now. Uh, it's the, just the, down it's to swinging, the dollar. <laughs> it's swinging back because now, how 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 badly do they care about having their haircut versus taking that money that they spent to to provide that haircut facility, that that barbershop, and uh, and instead that money ends up in the in the hands of the collective that can then distribute it directly to athletes. What do the athletes want? They want that money. Yep. Well, we just yesterday we were discussing how for the big time donors, you know, the ones that like regularly donate to these universities and stuff, um, unless they're, uh, you know, uh, Phil Knight type or Warren Buffett or somebody who has billions of dollars to spend, you know, and a few million here and there doesn't really matter, uh, you know they probably will cut back on some of their donations to the athletic department in general 
in favor of, you know, this kind of recruiting fund, this right. collective fund, right. because that will become the critical thing to continuing the success of the overall program at the expense of perhaps, like you say, the facilities, other non-profiting sports, etc. Right, exactly. And just to be clear, you mentioned, you, you threw Warren Buffett's name in there just because he's a Nebraska <laughs> alum and he's, and he's a big fan and all that. But I want to make it clear to our <laughs> listeners that we understand that Warren Buffett doesn't give the University of Nebraska's sports programs any money whatsoever. And he's made it very clear that that's never going to happen. Okay, we understand that. Uh, we're just pointing out that there are certain schools that have a Phil Knight type of, of, of um, uh, donor who's been willing to throw massive money that way. Uh, um, uh, T. Boone Pickens from Oklahoma State is another example of an individual person who became almost nationally famous in part because of their loyalty to a particular sports program, right? Right. Um, Under Armour at Virginia, at uh, uh, Maryland, uh, who was a a Maryland grad. I mean, you have those kinds of people. Right. Um, and in this most re- recent recruiting cycle, one of the big benefactors, it seems, of this new NIL deal is Texas A&M right. because they had a class that was considered number one by a lot of the top you know, recruiting sites and stuff out there. Right. And reportedly they've spent, you know, tens of millions assembling this particular class. Right. That, that, that the commitments on NIL exceed, exceed tens of millions of dollars uh, collectively. For all those athletes, as well as the existing members of the team, so so this went from zero to uh, uh, light speed in overnight. And I don't, I, 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 if if the NCAA is shocked or any other quote quote expert in college sports is shocked that that it went from oh yeah we're going to have NIL and name image likeness and people are going to be able to you know be sponsored by the local coffee shop that they're fans of and they're going to get free lattes every morning. And, and they're going to promote the the coffee shop's name to the you know to the community. It went from that kind of nil with the local whatever shop right or business to um, big time money uh, in these collectives, big time contracts with individual um, players. Some took it very seriously and organized themselves and did a great job. Uh, uh, of maximizing their opportunity in a true business kind of sense, you know, launching their own brands, launching their own products. You know, there's a there's a volleyball player from from Wisconsin uh, who is uh, was uh, on a trip to Hawaii, saw an art uh, form that she was fascinated and fell in love with. She uh, began to learn how to do it, began to develop her own techniques and her own style. And now has, you know, like an Etsy type store where she's selling her product and she's kicking ass. I mean, she's really good at it. Right. And, right. And, and because of her celebrity status, so to speak, because she's a well-known uh, sports player in in Wisconsin that has given her access a and a platform and, yeah. and a visibility. And it's and it's snowballing in her now. But that's a real product. That's a real business that's going to probably carry beyond her volleyball career. Right. Um um, then there, but but then these collectives are more about sponsorships, whatever. You know, the the, the quarterback who's no longer the quarterback at Oklahoma. Uh, you Caleb know, got, Williams. No, no. Oh, I'm talking about Spencer the other Rattler. Spencer Rattler, yes. who got two cars, right? A truck and a car um, uh, uh, for sponsoring for being nil'd by an auto dealership. He didn't get one. He got lease. Okay, provided two vehicles, a truck and a car. Right. And then he ended up losing the starting job after the, after the Nebraska game or somewhere around there, right? I right. Mean, fourth game of the year, and he's not even the starter anymore. And you know, well, he transferred. Remember? And he ended up transferring exactly. Yeah. But my point is, he got that kind of an NIL deal because he was the quarterback right. at Oklahoma. Well, and this is just a report, so you know who knows how true, true it, is it is and everything. But this report says that there's a 2023 football recruit. Not sure what position. Probably a quarterback, though. Uh, reportedly getting an NI deal of $8 million that he has signed. Uh, this $8 million comes, you know, over the course of time by the end of his junior year. Uh, apparently it also would give him $350,000 up front, you know, basically immediately. And he hasn't even signed a letter of intent with the school. Right. But apparently this deal has already been signed. And, right. you know, he's aware of, like, if I commit to this university, this is already in the bag for me. Right. So that's how out there it's getting exactly and 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 that's what you get 
when you don't have any rules or regulations that guide, you know, the players and the parents and the institutions about how this is all going to play out, right? Right. And and the NCAA blew it in throwing this over the wall the way they did. They blew it. Right. And now they have to somehow bring it in, but now the cat's out of the bag. And legally, if if I'm one of those students who's who's extremely successful in the NIL era, there's no way in heck they're going to sit silently and let this go away. So it's here to stay. Right. Because legally it's it's going to be almost impossible to stop it. Right. Right. Well, and I just had a thought. Do you think that this current NIL craze with all the big-time bucks being thrown around, you know, be, partially because, right, they're – doing these payments for new recruits and the current members, like you say. Um, and, you know, moving forward, there will probably be more established deals of like, okay, you're already established at the school, you're getting this, you're getting recruited at the school, you're getting this. Um, but do you think, you know, uh, institutions might kind of realize that the value of the investment and like, are they overpaying, you know, and maybe the numbers come down to something, instead of 7 million, maybe it's 5 or 4 million, or do you think it's just off to the races, up to the moon, and it's going to keep ballooning? I think all athletic sports endeavors have always been about paying people for potential, not performance, right? The the, the right. great athletes always get paid, right, on their potential the, uh, early in their career, right? right? And then some get paid at the end of their career, uh, a final almost going away gift, right, for the, the success of the team that they that they brought to the team. Right, um, but most people get paid on potential. Baseball players, you name it, they get paid stupid money based on the fact that they believe they have five or seven more years of really great performances ahead of them, and they get the money, and then it doesn't, then it doesn't matter. They can suck, and often that happens. Right, their performance does not stay at the level it was, and yet they're still getting that stupid money. And at some point, they end up getting traded. There's negotiations, blah, blah, blah. But they get most of it up front. And that's why that, that's the job of, a, of an agent, right? But, right. Uh, so there's a whole thing. So how are we going to keep agents from finding their way into these high school athletes who are being recruited? Oh, well, I mean, if they're not there already, they will be oh, soon. Oh, they, when you're they've talking about that, there. Yeah, right. When you're talking about this level of money. Yeah, I but, mean, but now you need uh, somebody... Who, an agent, right? Because if you're a kid, you, you don't have a clue. You could get really taken advantage of. So you almost need representation. So that that's eventually going to come, right? Uh, when to to certain athletes, but it's gonna it's gonna rise to the top. It's it's only going to be that top ten percent of athletes in all the different sports or less that get that kind of attention. The other ninety percent, they're going to have to be you know paid through this collective idea where they give the whole team X. Right. Right. Although I do think it's worth noting that according to this report, which once again is just a kind of a rumor report thing, but it did specify that it was eight million by the end of junior year. And it said something about monthly payments that would increase over time to the right. point of like two million dollars per year, probably by that junior year or whatever. Right. Um, so there there's some incentive structure kind of built in to, to say to you need to place. stay committed to us and continue to perform for the team. Right. At least, you know, staying on the team. Right. Right. And stuff right. like that. And so you are right in that as these things get more sophisticated, they probably will come down in value, but you're always going to see the exception. You're always going to hear about this one, one deal that's just over the top. Right. And each time it'll be a little bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, just like the professional leagues. Right. right in basketball, football, you name it. So yeah. the problem is, our, our 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 student athlete experience is now dramatically changed and will never be the same. And now coaches who already had a lot on their plate, that you know, um, with uh, with with NIL and effectively free agency created by the portal, those those coaches will never be able to sleep. I mean, they, they couldn't before. <laughs> right now up. they really can't, okay? <laughs> right. Because they, they no longer have to just recruit a kid until they get him signed, and then they can break him down, right? That once he gets into the program and they can tell him, okay, yeah, I, I kissed your tail while you were being recruited, but now you're mine, right? right? And I can break you down and build you back up into the great player that I think you could be. Now he can't do that. Now he's got to keep kissing his ass, 
Right. Well, and we I remember we've talked a bit about like how the portal has affected other sports like volleyball, where the numbers are at an insane level, even higher percentage wise than football. Right. Um, but what's your impression of like how NIL has affected other major college sports like men's basketball, women's volleyball, oh, yeah. et cetera? That, that, that is, uh, are you asking NIL or, or, NIL or portal in this case? NIL. Well, see, now, NIL, in, in the case of some of those other sports, it's all about visibility for the sport, right? Certainly, collegiate basketball, men's basketball, and uh, is is right there with football in all of these factors. I mean, they're the same because they're big money, big visibility, all that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, women's college basketball, to a significantly lesser extent, and women's college volleyball. And then it, then it becomes campus-centric, right? Um, if you're a volleyball player at... The University of Texas, uh, or the University of Nebraska, or the University of of Wisconsin, you're a rock star, right? You are well known on campus. You have great visibility. Everybody knows who you are. You can't go anywhere in town without being identified, right? Right. Um, okay. If you're on the rifle team, or the bowling team, or even a track star, okay, you can even be an NCAA champion in the javelin, right? Right. No one's going to know who you are, right? Your NIL opportunities are quite limited, right? Uh, they might be able to do some things collectively for the whole track team uh, or for the whole bowling team or something, but they're not going to uh, have a lot of individual um, NIL potential. But if you're a volleyball player, okay, who, who you know, it's an indoor sport, close-ups, people recognize their face, that image and likeness is there, Right. And it's a v- extremely popular sport where those people are rock stars within their state. Right. Those people are going to make some money. Yeah. But it's, so it's very uneven, extremely uneven. Right. Yeah. And it, I was just thinking, like, it's going to change, make these disparities that already existed bigger, it feels like, where, you know, yes. the offensive linemen versus the quarterback, you know, are going to be being paid quite different amounts. Right. You know, and then also, like, with this whole idea that they're also students, you know, there's the student part of the athlete right. part of the equation. Right. They're, they got to go to school and, you know, still maintain their Great grade level point. in classes. But if I'm a quarterback who's being paid... Uh, you know, 10 times what that professor's being paid, who's telling me what to do or whatever, you know, it, it, it kind of changes that dynamic, I feel. Absolutely. And and then if there is an issue, are they going to go to bat to save that quarterback? Right. They're going to be even more motivated than they have been historically, which they already were historically motivated to help that kid out. They're going to even be more inclined to do that, right? And But then what about the dynamics within an individual team? Forget the difference between you know, uh, basketball, football, volleyball, volleyball, you know, um, and bowling. Forget about those differences. Uh, Think about the differences within the team. And as a coach, how do you manage that? When you have a a person who you've demoted now and is no longer the starter that they once were, and it affects negatively their visibility because they're no longer being seen. They're now over in the corner. They're not even, they're not even, they're on the bench, right? And, so they're out of sight, out of mind. Their interest level gets diminished, right? The, the radio show, the, the radio station isn't going to try to have a radio show of them. They want a radio show with the starters, right? So all of a sudden, those whole dynamics change over the course of a player's career. And right. that, that, can, that could create some real ugly divisions within a team. That's true, yeah. And like we said, you know, it seems like these contracts are being written in a way probably where, like, you have to maintain X grade point average. Oh, and, sure. And, you know, it's set up from the beginning, you know, like for these incoming freshmen, like, okay, this is your amount that you're going to be paid over the course of your time at the university. But, you know, if you have great success, of course, that number might go up and you'll get other opportunities from other media outlets and things like that and sponsorships, right. like you mentioned, um, so that sort of outside stuff would all go away. Like you say, if you're all of a sudden, you're the right. third team guy now. Right. And, and and there's all kinds of other things that are just starting to evolve. Okay. Historically, college coaches have made enormous sums of money from their summer uh, coaching clinics. Right. Okay. Now the student athletes are sponsoring their own coaching clinics, their own uh, clinics for their sport. Right. So, who, which which one do you want to go to? Do you want to go to the one that is being promoted by the university, 
or are you going to pay to go to the one that's being sponsored by the the starters on the basketball team? Interesting. So, I hadn't heard this bit. Oh, yes. so, but the, well, and, and then they're going to sign autographs. So not only do you go and and get taught by um, how to be a setter by Nicklin Hames, you get her autograph. Okay, okay. okay. So this is so, like for... And it's nothing to do with the university, right? They're doing it at a high school somewhere in Lincoln. Right. So this is... Uh, you know, students that are further along that have already established themselves. Exactly. And so you could go and go to the Caleb Williams quarterback camp exactly. instead of the one by USC coach. Yeah. Right. By the university. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You, you you're now you're now creating a whole another avenue for hmm. these kids to get visibility to the athletes that they admire. Now that's a different experience than getting visibility to the person who might be recruiting you. Right, so that doesn't mean that that John Cook's um, uh, clinic, you know, for uh, volleyball players isn't still going to be popular, but some student athletes may have to choose between the two. Right, right. they may not be able to go to both. Right, right, and so there's value propositions there for everyone. Right, uh, but and it's a great opportunity for those student athletes. I mean, the the the, the volleyball team at Nebraska just did one. And uh, it was for little kids. It wasn't for high schoolers. It was for mostly little kids. But that gym was packed. I mean, it was it was there was probably two hundred plus kids there. Okay, and they and and they signed autographs and they got paid for all that stuff. Right? They right. had sponsors. Their the coffee shop and 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 some other uh, you know a fitness facility and some other folks were involved and they were sponsoring it and paying for it and paying those student athletes. And then the student athletes were getting paid by the attendees. A certain chunk of that, right. and then for the autograph, they were getting ten bucks an autograph or whatever. But the bottom line is, that's some real money, right? And 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 it wasn't just one student athlete; it was like the whole team that right. was there. Well, and obviously, like the you know uh, student you know camp you know thing, it probably isn't being held the clinic isn't probably being held on the same day as the John Cook no clinic no no. But still, they're both out there in the market competing with each other, right? The students competing with the university's own official that's right advertisements and events. Exactly, exactly. So, so how do you manage that? Because you can't be involved as a university. You can't tell them don't do that. Right. Right. That's nil. That's their deal. They're doing that privately. Right. Uh, I mean, now a coach can still say, hey, that's not. That's not good for the program long term. We need to have you do this kind of a thing, but not that right. kind of a thing. Or I even just thought, like, you know, a coach is asking you to go to the film room, right, and be proactive with right. staying on top of your preparation. But you're like, sorry, coach, I got a business meeting with so and so. Right. You know, I got to keep keep my NIL going. You know, right. what does the coach do there? You right. know, exactly. Like, there's probably a amount they can mandate. You know, but in terms of beyond that, you know that's kind of in the player's hands, right? So a lot of this is all about, you know, the players right. and these athletes having more agency and control, which is a good thing in a certain respect, you know, especially from those who think that, you know, they've kind of been exploited in the past, you know, and now they have all these opportunities open to them, right. but it's going to create, you know, hell for the sport overall and for these well, programs. And, and that's where, that's where coaches just got more and more of a CEO type of job, okay? They have to anticipate all this stuff. They have to have programs in place to to prepare their athletes for that. They have to have policies and procedures that they inculcate into the student athlete's mindset, right? It's part, They have to build it into their culture. And see, again, John Cook has done a very good job. I'm going to use him as an example. This is a Nebraska podcast. I can't yes. use Scott, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to use John. The Nebraska volleyball the coach. The Nebraska volleyball coach because he's figured out so far how to do that. And he's got a group of athletes that are that make up his team that work their butts off. And he doesn't have a problem with work ethic. They love to be in the gym together. The, you know, There aren't any of these this infighting and stuff. But what happens five years from from now when all of those students are gone and now we're in the second generation of nil students and they they've now had nil on their brain their the entire beginning. yeah then while they were growing up and they come in and they're not all on the same page i mean that's where the culture thing the program you're coming into and what the expectations are and what those older kids are doing is going to become even more critical in this day and age with the nil element otherwise you're going to see guys basically checking out. Okay, I'm now a senior. Not only am I 
uh, not focused on my senior year of football because I want to make sure I don't get hurt. So I'm already playing that game, which was already a, a thing in college football when kids were preparing for what they thought was going to be their NFL future. They they maybe don't have their best performance as a senior because they're diminishing. Or the second half of their senior season, they kind of disappear, right? And their performance right. declines. Well, that's because they're protecting themselves. They're saving themselves for the next level. I've now got enough on tape. I'm going to get drafted. I don't need this, right? Or I'm going to protect myself. Well, now... What about adding NIL onto that, right? And now they're thinking about, okay, hey, I have these choices to make. Do I go to this meeting and put myself in this position so that I can reap this benefit over my senior year, you know, because I've worked hard for three years, or do I I stay focused and go out with the boys that night? You know what I mean? It's just it gets really, really culturally and uh, sociologically significant and complicated. Right. I do remember, I think we brought this up on a previous podcast, that uh, NIL may have the side effect of encouraging more people to stay for, like, their senior year. You know, if they're, like, somebody who's, like, on the edge of, like, okay, I'm a junior, I'm not, like, a total superstar, but I'm good, I'm talented, you know, do I go to the NFL or do I stay for my senior year? And if you're making good money, you know, staying at college with these NIL deals and stuff, why risk that? you know, going when you might not be drafting the NFL if you're unsure and just stick with what is already in place. I would argue that except for collegiate football, which is the sport that has the highest potential for season ending, career ending injury, right? I would say with the exception of that sport, every other sport will absolutely be drawn in that direction, right? In, In a positive way for them to stay. And we're seeing that with the fifth year, the COVID year. Right in all the sports other than football, the uh, almost everyone who had opportunity to stay for their COVID year did, right? Right. And and it's because nil was starting. Why wouldn't I stay and reap the benefits of that extra year? Again, I'm going to use Nebraska volleyball. Nicklin Hames is staying for a fifth year. You know, uh, she's using that COVID year, right? Uh, and and she's coming back knowing that Co- Coach Cook intends and hopes that her understudy. Uh, Kennedy Orr is going to take over the setter position. She's not even going to be a starter. She's going to be some kind of role player that is there to encourage the younger student athletes, be a leader as best she can, and probably be a serving specialist and a defensive specialist in some role. Uh, Very diminished from being the quarterback of the volleyball team for the last four years, right? right? Tremendously diminished role. But she's doing it because... She's already got some great NIL gigs. She's got a radio program every week. She's got some, uh, you know, she's got three or four food places that um, um, that are connected to her and and po- co- providing compensation for her. So she's got a good gig. Right. So I think the the end result, summing all this up, is that you know it's a wild world out there of yeah. you know genuinely cool and interesting opportunities, you know, like what you mentioned about that Wisconsin volleyball player, you know, mm-hmm. getting this art thing going, right. you know, using the visibility of the university as a platform to promote something that could continue as a career for her beyond uh, college and everything, right? right? You know, but then there's also all sorts of negative connotations and new complexities. Right. Like you say, like, you know, I think there, not only is there an added burden on the coaches for these different uh, big sports, but also on the athletic directors, right? Oh. Like, what's your Nebraska's overall athletic department policy on NIL? You know, right. and all sorts of different and, things. And you've got to you got to negotiate those waters with the with with lawyers involved because they got to be advising you the whole way. And what about the students themselves? Like, they weren't already under enough pressure, right? <laughs> now they have the pressure of like, oh my gosh, why am I not doing better with NIL? And they're going to have people telling them about how, oh, you have all kinds of NIL opportunity. you got to go out and get it, you know, but you don't know how to. And so then you have the stress, the anxiety of knowing I should be doing more right. and or, I'm not. Or like you say, you know, you get demoted to the second or third tier position and you you were making great NIL money because you're out there in the spotlight and maybe you have a family that's not so well off and your that money was really helping your family, you know, right. stay afloat or whatever. Right. Um, Cause a lot of these students will be making more than their parents are making right. during this four year period. They will be soon. So that will become a whole dynamic too. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> lots of complexities, lots of uh, 
different things to look at with this NIL stuff. And like we said, we'll definitely be paying attention to that NCAA meeting in August um, to hopefully sort at least some, you know, order out of the well, chaos. But here. here's the thing. Why are they waiting until August? All this shit is happening right now. They know it. Why aren't they calling an immediate emergency meeting uh, of presidents? It's springtime. This is the time of year to do it because, you, you know, it's a it's an academic calendar year, right? Most academic they're they're on a they're on a budget year. They're not having to do any of that shit right now. They have time in the spring. All they're preparing for is graduation ceremony. They they have more time, in my opinion, to be dealing with this as as leaders of their institutions now than they will in August before a new year is about to begin. And they're dealing with all the you know startup issues of a new school year. Why would they wait wait till August? Why? Right. Stupid. Right. Or at least do it during the summer, right? Where traditionally right. you have your summer downtime. semester, but it's, yeah, it's a downtime for the yeah. university. I mean, why are they waiting? Uh, my cynical answer would be that the university presidents and all that uh, have these big vacations and all that stuff, right? Like, they're that's their time off, and they're like, well, I'm not giving my time off, even right. though but college should. athletics is burning around us exactly. right now. Exactly. <laughs> Rome is burning, and they're going to let it burn to the ground, and then we'll talk about it in August. Come on! <laughs> right, right. So. All right. Well, like we said, we'll do a podcast here probably later in April talking about the results of the Nebraska spring game, you know, any other interesting news in the wider world of college football. I know Michigan just had their spring game this weekend that yep. apparently went well really for well. them. Yep. Yep. So, you know, we'll see who's who's looking strong coming out of this kind of season uh, and look ahead to uh, the excitement of fall, as we always do. Yes, exactly. All right. So if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also search for us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you search for College Football Throwdown, you can find us there. Leave us a rating or review. We always love hearing from everybody. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this in-person episode. You're welcome. It was great, great fun. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.